Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religious life. Morning. Cup of murder. There are two sides to every story. Months ago, we covered the crimes of John Christie, a serial killer working out of his home in Notting Hill, London. When we covered his story, we found out that an innocent man, born November 20th, 1924, was executed for John's crimes. This is his side of the story. So, if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Timothy John Evans, born November 20th, 1924, in Wales, was raised by a single mother for much of the beginning of his childhood. He had difficulty learning, which wasn't helped by an accident he had when he was eight years old, that left him with tubercular verruca in his foot, an issue that never completely healed and left him missing considerable amounts of school to try and treat it. As a result, adult Timothy Evans possessed very low literacy skills and needed others to read him substantial documents. Because of this, he was known to stretch the truth and spin stories to boost his self-confidence. He moved back and forth for a while, but in 1939 made his final move to London, living with his mother about 10 minutes from that infamous home he would share with John Christie at 10 Rillington Place in Notting Hill. He wouldn't move into that building until Easter Monday in 1948, after finding out that his new wife, Beryl Thorley, was pregnant with their first child. 
The Evans family moved to the top floor flat while the Christies lived on the ground floor. By this time, unbeknownst to anyone, John Christie had already established himself as a vicious serial killer. In fact, two bodies were laying concealed on that very property where the Evans were trying to raise their family. Geraldine Evans was born on October 10th, 1948. Timothy and Beryl's marriage, from what I could find, wasn't the happiest. They fought often about things most couples do, and Timothy began spending the very little extra money they had on the alcohol that seemed to shorten his temper. It was becoming a vicious circle, and their arguments were loud enough that they could be heard by neighbors. Neighbors like John, who witnessed the physical violence and would later use it to his advantage. In 1949, Beryl found out that she was pregnant with the couple's second child. Unfortunately, due to their financial situation, the news was not happy. Beryl made the difficult decision to get an abortion, something incredibly unheard of at the time and therefore not regulated in the slightest. Timothy was reluctant, but after convincing, agreed with his wife's decision. Several weeks later, on November 30th, 1949, Timothy Evans called police and said that his wife died in unusual circumstances. Now, before we get into his confession, I want you to keep some things in mind. Timothy Evans, as we discussed before, was almost completely illiterate and had limited intellect. He was also a man who had only one blemish on his criminal record when he was fined in 1946 for stealing a car and driving without insurance or a license. He was, however, known to get violent with his wife. His initial confession said that he accidentally killed her after giving her a bottle of tonic that a man had given him to abort the fetus, that she had died in the process, and that he had to dispose of her in the sewer drain outside of 10 Rillington Place, that he had arranged for someone to take Geraldine and had fled to Wales. Sounds like a pretty solid confession, right? Except when the police examined the drain, they found nothing. No signs of a body. Not only that, but they found that the manhole cover was impossible for one man to pick up. So he was re-questioned, and this time he told a totally different story. He said that his downstairs neighbor, John Christie, had offered to perform the abortion for Beryl. The couple agreed, and on November 8th, when he returned home from work, John told him that the abortion had not worked and that his wife was dead. Not only that, but he had taken it upon himself to dispose of Beryl's body and find arrangements for a couple to look after Geraldine, the girl who John would later refuse to let Timothy see. He went on to tell Timothy that he should leave London in the meantime. He left for Wales on the 14th. Timothy went on to say that the reason he left John out of his initial confession was that he wanted to protect him. Abortions were, of course, illegal at this time, and he didn't want his helpful neighbor to go to prison for trying to help them out. After all, they knew the risks for the procedure. After he finished his second confession, police performed a preliminary search of 10 Rillington Place and somehow failed to find anything incriminating. We know now that as they walked through the garden, they walked over the bodies of John's victims and that there was even a human thigh bone supporting a broken fence. It wasn't until a more thorough search was done on December 2nd that the bodies of Beryl and Geraldine Evans were found. Beryl was wrapped in a tablecloth in the wash house of the tiny garden, a wash house only the Christies had access to. 
and the body of Geraldine was found alongside her mother's. Timothy never mentioned in either of his confessions that Geraldine might have perished like her mother. He always said that she was off living with a new family. Even after this search, police failed to find the other bodies buried on the property. When informed of what they found and told for the first time that his daughter was also dead, Timothy Evans still took responsibility, claiming he strangled Beryl during an argument over money and strangled Geraldine two days later. With that, Timothy Evans sealed his fate. Despite the fact that much of his confession was inaccurate and that he was interrogated over the course of late evening into the early morning hours, didn't seem to matter to investigators. Later, when brought to trial for the murders, Timothy withdrew his confession and would state that he was threatened with violence in the interrogation room. That this, coupled with the shock of discovering both Beryl and Geraldine were dead, likely induced him to make a false confession. During the trial, he would also say that he believed John Christie was responsible for their deaths. Now, keep in mind that at this trial, the major witness against him, the ones who would inevitably send him to the gallows, were John Christie and his wife, Ethel. Not only that, a major fact never seemed to make it into the trial. That two workmen were in the washroom days after Timothy claimed to have disposed of the bodies and found nothing unusual inside. The trial lasted only three days, with much of the evidence kept from the jurors. And after just 40 minutes of deliberation, Timothy Evans was sentenced to death. After a failed appeal, he was hanged to death on March 9, 1950. Three years later, John Christie would be arrested and admitted to killing both Beryl Evans and her unborn fetus. He did not, however, admit to killing Geraldine. An inquiry would later determine that he did, in fact, kill Geraldine, and the series of events Timothy gave during his second confession was likely what happened that day in November. John Christie was found guilty of killing his wife and hanged on July 15, 1953 by the same hangman who took Timothy's life. In 1966, Timothy was granted a posthumous pardon. This case would become one that experts would later study in years to come. Some who study phraseology said Timothy's confession seemed more in line with the language a police officer would use rather than that of a nearly illiterate man. That he was in solitary confinement for two days prior to his confession and this likely left him malleable to investigators. Regardless, this case generated so much controversy and is widely acknowledged as a prime example of the miscarriage of justice. It played a major role in the abolishment of capital punishment that took place in 1965, a movement that would have saved the life of an innocent man. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 21st. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This daily true crime podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching Morning Cup of Murder. I'd love it if you stopped by and said hi. Stay safe.